Welcome back into Bill's Chat. This is Josh McCarty with Luca. We are back live, Luca. It's been a minute since we did our last live show. We got some new digs too. Bill's Chat live, a little bit different feel. How you like it? I like it. I like it. You know, people can kind of understand now that uh, we're doing our podcast on our Monday mornings like we have been for a long time now. And our live show is just kind of going to be it's going to be its own entity still. It's going to be its own thing and everything, especially once the season comes along. But, you know, especially with what we're doing tonight, it's kind of to show everyone it's like these kind of roll with each other. So if at times, you know, you're not understanding why we're talking about defensive players, it's probably because we already talked about offensive players on another thing known as our podcast and uh, it's fun to kind of have almost a little bit of a, a similar or a familiarity with everything when it comes to this so i'm excited that we got a little bit of new digs here and i'm excited to finally be here as you mentioned it's been a few weeks now since we've been live and i'm ready to get back at it and just enjoy a nice new live show yeah and honestly we wanted to make it easier for you guys to find luca and me we know you know we've done bills built in buffalo live um, Dave Myers, absolutely on board with this. We we know you guys know us as Bill's Chat, so we just want it when this is on YouTube, you search Bill's Chat, and there it is. We have a lot to get to tonight, though. We are going to do a deep dive on the Bill's defensive depth chart tonight. We're going to obviously talk about Jordan Poyer. We're going to talk about Tremaine Edmonds, what we expect the Bills to do with both of those players, what they look like at all of their defensive positions, and where we expect them to aggressively attack this offseason moving in to 2023 we had a defensive coordinator step down this week we will certainly get into that and if there's some time at the end we will get into some sabers trade deadline talk as uh, luca has the sabers chat series going on built in buffalo youtube and there's some sabers news to get into but luca before we get the show off the ground tonight i wanted to take a moment here to recognize a legend who retired today on wgr howard simon had his last episode of his show today. He retired. And, you know, I I really wanted to say something about him because it was 2002. Now, for those that don't know, I live in I live in the St. Louis area. I'm not in Buffalo. Um, so I've, my connection to the Bills has always been Sunday ticket, watching them on direct TV. And it wasn't until in like the last decade that you could just turn on any radio station in any city you want to get coverage. And then podcasts started popping up and it was super easy to get coverage of the team you liked. Back in 2002, I was just playing around on direct TV and found empire sports network. And Howard Simon was doing a bills post game show. And I remember the exact sh show. It was after the bills had lost to the jets in the Meadowlands. Chad Pennington jukes out Eddie Robinson for a touchdown, kind of a memorable game. And I was hooked ever since. And he was my connection to the Bills outside of just watching the games and then the Buffalo Bills message board. And I was obsessed with his show when he had the simulcast Monday through Friday in the afternoon at the time. And it went on until about mid-2004. And then Empire Sports and, and uh, WNSA shut down. And I was crushed because it wasn't until, I think, 2010, 2011 when WGR started making their shows live and then full downloadable. So there was like a six year gap where I could only listen to small clips of their shows, but man, Howard Simon is just such a pro. Um, you and I, Luke have only been doing this content stuff for about a year together, but so much of what I hope to try to be is what I think Howard Simon is, which is he bridges the gap between he's a fan. 
He shows emotions, which I think is very important. I think sometimes that gets lost in some of the newer content creators. And I certainly hope that doesn't get lost with us is we are fans, but he also brings the information and does so in an entertaining way. So I definitely wanted to take a moment to call out Howard Simon. Um, Just like many of your listeners have shared with you, you've had a huge impact on my life, my Bills fandom. I don't know. You know, I think you're very responsible for my Bills fandom being as strong as it was throughout the drought. That could not have been easy time to make Buffalo Bills programming. So all the best to you in your retirement, sir. I am not an alcohol drinker, but I will cheers to you, sip my water, and wish you the, the very best and uh, very confident what's going to be happening now with Joe DiBiase and Jeremy White. Both of those guys are very entertaining and uh, going to have a good show. But Luca, hopefully we have a good show tonight. And uh, we're going to start it off with Leslie Frazier on Wednesday stepped down as Buffalo Bills defensive coordinator. If you had a chance to catch Luca and I on code of conduct on Buffalo rumblings earlier this week with Jay Spence, the King, we got into it, but we're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, Luca, the very first thing that makes it tricky for me is the timing because it happened the last week of February instead of the first week of February. And you had coaches like Vic Fangio and Brian Flores off the market who the bills could have gone after What was your initial reaction when you heard that Leslie Frazier was stepping down? Timing is a perfect thing to bring up here. Um, That was immediately where my head went. It was, I'm not understanding the timing of this because whenever I hear anyone stepping down, I don't ever really feel it's truly their decision. I do think that they have part of the decision in mind with that. It's not like, it's not like Leslie Frazier was forced out the door, but then was reported as stepping down. Cause I'm sure you'd hear something completely different out of his mouth soon thereafter, but I, something happened discussion wise where maybe they wanted to move on from him. And all of a sudden it was like, Hey, do you mind if I do this on my own accord? Or they gave him the option. It's either you can report it as stepping down or we will report it as terminating you things like that. But the timing coming back to that is what, honestly made me a little frustrated with everything everyone else and we talked about this on the you know earlier this week like you said on code of conduct but everyone else kind of figured out their coordinator roles and the positions and everything like that within their uh head coaching or in their coaching uh staffs and you know front office and all of a sudden now you fill that or sorry you release that coordinator and you have that void there and you don't you don't really have a lot of outside options to evaluate. So it really seems like it forces your hand to just promote within. Now, if that's part of the strategy of the bills, because they didn't want it to seem like they don't care about what's out there anyways, and they had better ideas on what was internal. I, I guess that's one way to do it without it making seem like that, or at least, you know, you're making it look like it, you they forced your hand or Leslie Frazier stepping away, forced your hand. But um, I don't I don't like that when it comes to the timing. I don't like it where you can't do your due diligence and look at all options available, whether it's inside or outside the building. Um, That's the one thing that I had a problem with it. But overall, I do think that there's something in it where I have nothing against Frazier. I think the success of this defense as it comes to his entire tenure, there is something to be said there. It's just maybe at this point internally, both Frazier and the front office and Sean McDermott agree that his message is getting stale. Whatever is going on is just not working anymore. And then in big moments, it seems to let him down, even though they have seasons of uh, seasons of success to kind of back it up and have a show that this is a top tier defense. It's 
it's probably just one of those things where it's time to move on. And I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. It's again, one last time. It's not like I have anything against Frazier. It just seems like one of those situations overall where it's like, it's time for both parties to, you know, go separate ways, figure out their own path moving forward with whatever it is that they need to accomplish with the bills and McDermott. It's figure something out to make sure those big moments don't get away from them in big games and Frazier go find other opportunities elsewhere to further his career after it seems like a year off from football, which seems to be a pretty big coaching trend these days. So, um, I mean, hopefully everything's fine with him, you know, when it comes to his personal life, health, anything like that. And that's not what comes out to, you know, later on that that's why he had to step away. Hopefully it's just, you know, he needs to clear his head and needs to do his own thing and, and wish him all the best. Just wish the timing was a little bit better so that we could evaluate everything and see what's out there without having to just say, okay, the best we have is Al Holcomb internally or anything like that. So the internal options are actually fairly strong for the Bills. Luca mentioned Al Holcomb. He was hired as a senior defensive assistant about a month ago. It just became official as far as the Bills announcing it this week. And Al Holcomb is a guy that had Frazier decided to step down, say, in late January or early February, would have been at the top of the list with guys like Brian Flores and Steve Wilkes. He's been a defensive coordinator twice, once under Steve Wilkes last year when he became the interim head coach in Carolina. That makes a lot of sense. On the bill staff, Eric Washington has been a defensive coordinator in Carolina. That would be a little surprising just because his stint as defensive line coach has not gone well. John Butler is a guy that has been defensive coordinator in college before. And Bobby Babich is a guy that is thought of very highly on the staff. Luca, I do want to talk about the scenario where Sean McDermott actually becomes the de facto defensive coordinator because much like Kansas City is going through right now with Eric Bieniemy stepping down, there is not this sound the alarms chaos because everybody knows that's Andy Reid's offense and it's probably going to be fine. Looking at the Bills, it's Sean McDermott's defense and everything's probably going to be fine. But there is a division of labor here that goes into it and it's not just about calling plays on Sunday. It's about strategizing Monday through Saturday. It's about focusing your attention 100% on one side of the ball and simple situations like Miami has the ball third and 10 with two minutes to go in the half head coach McDermott needs to be worried about, okay, do I call a timeout after this play? What's the field goal range Tyler Bass has to get into. If we get the ball back defensive coordinator, McDermott has to worry about what blitz am I going to draw up here because I haven't blitzed in two series. So it's a lot to juggle for that reason alone. I think there needs to be a true defensive coordinator with McDermott being the CEO who oversees everything. But where do you fall on that? I, in a general sense, because of course there are anomalies and one-offs and everything like that. Andy Reed, Sean McVay, you know, when it comes to play calling still on whatever their specialty is, obviously both of those are offensive minded individuals. Um, but me personally, overall, in a general sense, I am not a fan of a coach overseeing play calling on either side of the ball. As you pointed out, a head coach's job on game day should be more about, you know, game management, situational awareness, not having the ability to not worry about little details and things like that. Say, so in this sense, you know, kind of to pull it back a little bit, Sean McDermott's calling defense. The offense is on the field. Obviously, he doesn't need to be worrying about play calling at that time. But a defensive coordinator in that moment would be worrying like what about what you're talking about there. They're worrying about what wasn't working on that previous drive, what was working, how are they going to attack it further on the next series where they where they are back on the field. 
he doesn't have that opportunity if he's doing dealing with the head coaching position because he does need to pay attention to the offense in a sense of game management, what is going on, where the clock is, where the game is, what's what's going on with all the things going on in this game. And he can't be coaching up whatever he needs to or figuring out whatever he needs to when it comes to, you know, live game film on the tablet or whatever it is to worry about the next drive that the defense is out there. He doesn't have that opportunity. So, yes, I absolutely feel like having a, a de facto defensive coordinator is important and they need someone that is calling the shots ultimately with that. You know, I, I feel like with Frazier, it's not like it wasn't coming through McDermott and McDermott wouldn't necessarily always have, you know, he couldn't overrule something and he couldn't just be like, no, 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 no. We're doing this in this moment in time. Like, obviously, a head coach in any position has that ability. It's just you need a defensive coordinator to worry about when they're not on the field what to do. And then if he needs to, you know, go to McDermott for advice here or there once or twice in a game. Sure. But that should be all it is. It should be once or twice where it's like, Hey, we're, we're thinking about option a or B, uh, you know, attacking the edge or whatever it is. What are you feeling? You know, yourself, what are you thinking when you're seeing that yourself, things like that? He shouldn't be worrying about that every drive while he also needs to game manage and worry about clock and timeouts and challenges and everything else that comes with being a head coach overall, just in general. So yeah, I don't like the idea of McDermott just being the DC and head coach throughout the entire season. You need someone that fills that role and takes care of, you know, pretty much all of those responsibilities himself, being a true coordinator, not just a figurehead. You know, oh, I was about to throw someone under the bus that just got a job of the same job somewhere else. Anyways, you're, you're not just a head, you know, or a person yeah. body filling a role that actually has no play calling abilities. It's like, no, you need someone that does that. And then the head coach just has a little bit of oversight on that side of the ball because they are an expert in that field. That is all it should be. That's all it should ever be because they have so many other things to worry about on game days. Matt Sober in the comments asks about Lovey Smith, and he is one of the names that if you are looking for an outside hire that would make some sense, but there, the, the well is pretty dry out there. I mentioned before on a video I did on built-in Buffalo quick hits, we broke down the Frazier news. Josh Boyer's out there, but that Miami defense was very underwhelming. Jim Leonard is a guy that's starting to get hotter in league circles, and it sounded like he might be heading toward being the Eagles defensive coordinator, and then he backed out at the last minute, also decided to take a year off. Specifically to Lovey Smith, Matt, I, I just don't see it. I feel like the game has passed him by a little bit. I think his defensive tactics have gotten a little stale. He's still running a variation of that Tampa 2 that Dungy ran back in the early 2000s. And it's just a different game these days. I, I would not be overly excited about Lovey Smith bringing him in. I wouldn't anticipate that. Um, but I mean, no idea is a bad idea because right now the Bills are scrambling. But uh, I would expect, Matt, that they are probably going to go internally with their hire, promoting Al Holcomb. Sounds like maybe there's some momentum for Babbage. We shall see. Lucas Dog's going to chime in with uh, the opinion of who they think should be hired. But we will see. Luca, the Bills did make a roster move today, though. They brought back Ike Butker on a one-year deal. And you saw some positive um, tweets from Mitch Morse on that. I know a lot of Bills Mafia likes Ike Butker. We do, too. We thought uh, there was a chance with as poorly as Roger Saffold was playing last year that when Botker could get healthy off of that Achilles injury he suffered late in 2021, he could have actually challenged for a starting role late last year, but that never materialized. It seemed like he never fully recovered from that injury, and he was a healthy scratch down the stretch for this team. I understand that we all remember how solid he was a couple years ago. 
to me, this is nothing more than a depth. Let's see if you can make the squad signing. And this certainly isn't a, hey, now you're out of the woods on this interior offensive line issue. I I even kind of call this, and it's not any disrespect to Botker or anything, anyone that gets this kind of deal. I understand it when any organization does this. This is a courtesy deal. This is a one-year courtesy deal. This is a team that saw something with this player, and then in a, an unfortunate circumstance was presented. ACL, obviously in this case, Achilles. Um, something like that happened. They weren't able to finish out their contract and show them that they're, you know, they're still valuable. They're still worth of something there. And because they had that year long loss, they're giving you that one year to stay around. See if you can be something like you said, be a valuable depth piece. That's at least familiar with everything going on and whatnot. And then from there, you know, just see what, what can happen, right? You can't get hurt with this one year deal. There's nothing bad for this with the bills. There's nothing bad for this for Ike Botker. It's just kind of look at it as a one year extension more than just a one year deal. This is just them being very nice and courteous to someone that showed something in there. And let's see what can happen if he has a full healthy offseason, you know, a full training camp and full preseason to see if he can get back into game shape. You know, I think Roy Collins here is pretty accurate or at least shares the same sentiment I do. He's a nice depth piece. He can be someone that you're not exactly uncomfortable, super uncomfortable with coming in if you need during a game day, but he's not really looked at as a starter. But if if he's able to show that that, it in itself is what he is and it has a full year of health doing it. I feel like this one year deal could turn into a couple more years down the road and just, he be, he will be one of those sixth, seventh, eighth linemen on the roster for years to come because they can at least depend on him. And he shows that he is at least, you know, break, break glass in case of emergency. He can come in, fill the role and not be, you know, a big, big problem for them on game days when he's needed. Yeah, I'm with our guy, Roy Collins. Roy, we always appreciate you being in here. You're one of our, our most loyal uh, people in here that's always always uh, putting comments in chat, and I agree with your assessment there on Ike Botker. Uh, Reg is in chat, and he has a question about the draft. And just so everybody knows, we we kind of are pretty deliberate with our offseason timeline. Tonight, we are really specifically going to focus on the Bills roster, what they have in-house, because Luca and I are big believers on before you figure out what you're going to add to the roster, you have to figure out what you have on the roster. We are going to look really under the hood at the defensive side of the ball. We've already done this on offense. It is audio only on uh, Bill's chat podcast, um, but we've done that with the offensive side. We're going to go through each position and tell you where we think they could add, how aggressive they should be to upgrade, or are there some diamonds in the rough already on this roster who could be in-house answers for those positions. So Reg, I don't want to, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. I hope I, I don't want to dismiss your question, um, but we're we're kind of ramping up for the free agents process here deliberately. So next week we can really dive into free agents that we think the bill should target. And then in a couple of weeks, we will be into draft mode, but respecting the question, respecting the fact that Luca couldn't help himself on our offensive show when he talked about a certain Notre Dame tight end <laughs> and understanding that Brandon Bean was pretty forthright multiple times this week talking about how excited he would be to add a second tight end to this offense and maybe run the offense that some of us envisioned when they signed OJ Howard last year. What would you think, Luca, just quickly about Michael Meyer at 27? Michael Meyer at 27? I'm okay with it. Um, it's it's a weapon, right? Like if mm-hmm. I'm in the mindset of I want a, another dynamic weapon for this offense, yes, he's a tight end, but seeing three years, I believe it is, of Michael Meyer, it's like, yep, 
that's okay. That fills that wide receiver two role kind of, you yeah. know, desire for me with his ceiling and potential. So yeah, real quick, a uh, Michael Meyer specifically. Cool. Now, if you're just talking tight end, that's what it takes for me at 27 to be okay with it. You know, there's a couple other guys I believe in this draft that are definitely exciting in themselves, but Michael Meyer is really the only one that stands out to me at this point in time. So real quick, he would be a guy I'd be, you know, okay with and even borderline excited for at 27, but I'm not going to hold my breath on it. And nor do I think that's like a legitimate chance of happening. I, at this point in time, it's too early to know. And like you said, like, you got to kind of take one step at a time. We need to see how the roster breaks down, you know, free agency works out and then get to the draft to figure out where maybe the bill's mindset is for that pick. I can promise you all, we are going to be all over every inch of this draft. Luca and I last year did a full first round mock draft. We, we mocked mocks that other people were doing. We talked about targets for the bills on all three days. We are going to be here for you and check out some of our other friends on built in Buffalo. Peter DiBiase is putting out mock drafts almost on a daily basis and is a great source uh, for draft information as well. And um, as far as tight end goes the last thing i would say about that is there's a part of me that would feel like i was biting the cheese again because last offseason we kept hearing about how all oh, this offense needs is a pass catching running back and watch out and then they went out and they tried to sign mckissick and then they went out and they drafted james cook in the second round they went out and traded for naheem hines and literally the one thing we never saw was them utilize a pass catching off uh, running back now there could be multiple reasons for that that we are not aware of, but me sitting here when we're recording this in early March, getting excited about this offense evolving as a two tight end offense and thinking about how dangerous the Patriots were when they had Gronk and the player to be named that we won't talk about at tight end running up the seams, how challenging that can be from a matchup perspective. Yes, I get excited, but there is a part of my brain that wonders can Dorsey evolve his offense into that? And, you know, time will tell if he's going to make it as an offensive coordinator, he's got to find a way to utilize high end weapons. And Meyer would certainly be that. All right, Luca, let's get into the premise of this show. Let's get into our personnel evaluation of the bills defense. And we are going to go position by position, but before we go into position by position, there is one, well, two very, very important conversations to have on the Bills defense. So I kind of want to call an audible here before we get into the deep dive, because we all know the Jordan Poyer conversation is out there and the Tremaine Edmonds conversation is out there. And I don't want to make you wait until we get to linebacker or wait until we get to safety. Let's just, let's not bury the lead here. We understand it's Friday night. Um, Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poyer. Two high-profile players on this Bills. Jordan Poyer has been here since 2017. He's been an all-pro player. Tremaine Edmonds, a multi-time pro bowler, first-round pick in 2018, middle linebacker, still 24 years old. If the Bills lose either of these players, it'll be very impactful. Sitting here today, Luca, what is the percentage chance you think the Bills keep Poyer and the percentage chance you think they keep Edmonds? Uh, the percentage chance that the bills keep Poyer. And let me just also preface this on, this is what I also believe Poyer's mind is at. It's a big fat zero. Uh, oh. Poyer is not returning. I, I would genuinely look, I'll do it for anything as possible. 1%. Um, I just feel like that boat has sailed. Um, and it's, it's not because I don't like Poyer, by the way, I would, me personally would be very okay with seeing Poyer back even at his market value at this point in time, which I believe is probably right around the low double digits. 
you know, around 11, 12 million at this point in time, I would be okay with paying it with what we saw, especially, you know, band-aids all over his body. I'm okay with paying him that to see him come back. I just unfortunately think possibly bridges have been burnt. I think, you know, maybe they're not, both sides aren't seeing the same thing here, whatever you want to say, however you want to kind of paint the pig white or whatever saying you want to say out there. It's not a real saying. I just came up with something on the spot. That was horrible. I'm glad, I'm glad that's not a real saying. Right. Make a lick However, put lipstick on a pig, whatever you want to say. <laughs> I want, I wanted to make sure I say a real one here. Um, it's, it's just not going to happen. It's it, Poyer's not coming back. I don't expect it. You hear him being linked to teams like Philly, Kansas city, Miami, and part of me almost goes, wow, the two teams in the Super Bowl and then the one that's the division rival of the team he currently plays for. I'm not saying he's a spiteful individual, but he clearly wants to go somewhere that he's very happy. And he will, you know, so Florida obviously is probably very advantageous to him. And then the two teams that were in the Super Bowl, he wants to win a championship. And I mean, odd show, you probably have a good chance going to the Super Bowl in years past with Kansas City or Philly. So why not? Why not do something to make it happen? I just don't see Poyer coming back. And again, it's not because I don't like Poyer. I just unfortunately think that that ship has sailed for the two sides. Tremaine Edmonds, on the other hand, I'm probably sitting at a he's going to test free agency. And this is where my concern is with this. So I'm probably sitting at a dead even 50%. Um, when you hit free agency and teams start throwing money around and numbers at you, it is very, 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 very hard to turn that down sometimes. And I think it's it's funny because I heard a quote earlier today in relation to Lamar Jackson, where <laughs> there you go. Appreciate it, Roy. Um we need it, a t-shirt <laughs> there. It was about Lamar Jackson where there's a thought or a serious idea that it seems like he's going to hit the open market. It just seems like the Ravens are going to make something happen. And then all of a sudden teams are going to start throwing crazy money at him. And now his, you know, he's going to be 200 plus million guaranteed somewhere, but it's, it's, that's just the reality of it. When another team comes in your market value, you always get paid honestly more than what your market value is because teams are not, sometimes in a bidding war for you, whatever it is. Tremaine Edmonds, fits that bill. He is young. He's an athletic freak. He has already shown he can be a big time linebacker in this league. He's going to get money thrown at him in the open market. The only reason I put it at a solid 50 regardless though, is, is there something in mind in place where he does like the system he's playing in? He does like the bills and the organization of which he's been playing in to start his career. And he does test out the open market and then gives the bills the chance to kind of a one time, hey, this is what I'm being you know, offered. This is where my value is. Can you match it? Can you do anything about it and make something happen for him? I don't know where his loyalty stands. I don't know where his head is at. I don't know how what he is like as a person. I, I feel from the outside looking in, he seems like he's a great person and everything like that. I just don't know if he's ultimately someone that will give the Bills that chance. I just do also know that the Bills want him back. So if the Bills want him back, they're going to try to do whatever they can. And whether that's just making sure they keep an ear to the ground on whatever money and whatever values being thrown his way by other teams and then just go, hey, we're willing to pay you that, you know, 17 mil a year or whatever number is thrown at him. You know, they're going to do the best they can in keeping him. So I would put it at a true 50-50 shot. Free agency is a hell of a time. A lot of money thrown around. Ultimately, my gut tells me he's not back. I'm just mm -hmm. going to be honest there. I don't 
think he's going to be back. And that's just my gut feeling on it. But it's that's a true coin flip. That's a true 50-50. Poyer, I'll do 1% because anything is possible. But I just don't see that one happening. I'm 20% on Poyer. Um, I'm leaving the 20% for he goes out and some of the the way the wind is blowing right now with some of the teams you mentioned, Miami, Kansas City, uh, Philadelphia, uh, maybe once the music actually starts and they can they can start making deals with these teams because right now it's just you know under the radar conversations that they're not technically supposed to be having. Maybe these teams get cold feet and they're not going to make the deal that they've been promising him. And I think that's what the Bills are gambling on with Poyer is they have drawn their line in the sand of what they're willing to pay him. And he thinks his market value is here. They think it's here. And they're saying, you go out and find out where your market is. And it seems like from everything that Luca and I are hearing on a little bit, we've checked in on this, that he's he's confident that his market's going to be higher than what the Bills think. And there's going to be plenty of interest out there. Um, the reason I'm going to say Tremaine Edmonds is 60 is I do think that the Bills... This this feels like one of those situations. If any of you have ever been in like a, an eBay auction, right? And like you, you're like, that's it. I'm not going over twenty dollars on this painting of Eric Mold. I don't know why I came up with that, but like you're sitting there, and it's like nineteen, and then somebody else bids, it's like nineteen five, and it's like nineteen seven. I'm there, and then it gets to twenty, and you're like, oh damn it, twenty one, because the Bills have been developing. Tremaine Edmonds since he came out of college. He was a first round pick in 2018 that they traded up for. And he has been everything they expected him to be. And they've been grooming him to play this position on their defense. So I think while they probably don't want to overextend themselves on either one of these players, that it's going to be more tempting to be like, all right, fine. If that's what your market is, we want you to stay. You're going to be the building block of this defense. Unlike Poyer, who unfortunately ages working against him, Edmonds still has potentially another decade ahead of him in this league. Um, I could see the Bills making that happen. I do want to talk to you, Luca, about whether they should be willing to extend themselves for a linebacker, but we'll get that to that when we get to the specific linebacker conversation. Let's start with Edge, and that's where the Bills started last offseason when they handed out a mega deal to Von Miller. We're going to talk about what the Bills still have on the roster right now. Von Miller's going into year two of his six-year $120 million deal. There really is no path out from this deal financially. Not that the Bills would want to get out of this deal, but the, the dead money would prohibit any kind of movement the Bills had there. Von Miller, unfortunately, tore his ACL on Thanksgiving. Could be a long road of recovery there. Would not expect him back when the games start in September. I think you're looking similar timeline, Tredavious White, October, November, maybe best case scenario there. Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham were both going into the second year of their four-year rookie deals. Gregory Rousseau being a former first-round pick has the fifth-year option that could tag on at the end of that. And AJ Epinesa, I hope I said this right, going into year three for those two. If I misspoke, I apologize. They're going into year three. AJ Epinesa is going into year four, the fourth and final year of his rookie deal. And then Kingsley Jonathan, they brought back on a two-year deal. And he actually got some snaps down the stretch when the Bills started running on a defensive lineman. Shaq Lawson is a free agent. The first thing I think of when I think of this group, Luca, is I think the conversation starts with Shaq Lawson. And I'll tell you why. He played well. And I think they got more than their money's worth out of him last year. But if you bring back Shaq Lawson and you have Von Miller and you have the three guys on rookie deals, and Kingsley Jonathan on a two-year deal, you're, that's your defensive in-group. There's no room for improvement. And I think we saw against the Bengals 
we need some improvement. So not that you want to hold this against Shaq Lawson, but is that enough reason to let him go and maybe draft a guy second, third round? Um, That's a tough one. That's a tough one to answer only because I wonder about those guys still on a rookie contract. And I, I know I even see it in our notes here, not to, you know, peel the curtain back a little bit, but I see in our notes, another point here that I kind of want to bring up at this point in time. So I'm going to go ahead and take that opportunity. I could really see them shopping around both AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham, seeing what the market is like for these guys. Can they move them to another team? Does another team, it is another team willing to give up a notable asset. And, and by notable, I mean, you know, I mean, if they get another day two pick for these guys, you know, being that they were a day two pick themselves, that would be quite a return for people that are, you know, going into their third year of their contract um, or fourth year for Epinesa's sake. But if you're able to even get a fourth round pick, let's say a fifth round pick for these guys, and you see a guy, and this is probably draft day kind of talk. If you see a guy on your board that you like and whatever, and you did just draft an edge because of BPA, best player available. And now all of a sudden you're looking at exactly this situation you're talking about where you're like, man, I kind of do want to bring Shaq Lawson back. He did great in his own right. He, he could be a cost-friendly addition to this team. Again, he, he produces honestly way higher at times than what his market is. And that's nice for this team particularly it's like, okay, what do we got to do to make sure that now this rookie still gets an opportunity because we like what he can bring this team. You're going to have to move AJ or boogie and a team comes swooping in being like, Hey, we'll give you our fifth round pick for AJ Epinesa. You bite, you absolutely make that move because as you said, with it, as is you saw it's an injury away from not being good enough. And I do expect Rousseau to kind of take another step further. He's a future star. And honestly, he's just on the precipice of that. It's about to happen. And everything about him is so exciting, but he can't do it himself at this point in time. And I'm not going to sit here and expect him to now year three of his career. So Vaughn's coming back late in the season. You, you need to figure out and change something else here. And I don't necessarily know if Shaq Lawson deserves not to be on this team based on what he provided you. So really you should probably look to move AJ or Boogie. And I don't mean that, you know, be overly aggressive where you just basically call 31 other teams and be like, what's the best you'd be able to offer for these guys. But if someone calls you or conversation is happening at all and edge comes up, the first thing out of Bean's mouth should be any interest in AJ Epinesa or Boogie Basham. What, how do you value these guys? Would you be willing to give us a, you know, a fourth or a fifth for him? Anything like that. That should be coming straight out of the mouth, like off the hip. Do it. Like, just see if you can move these guys, because unfortunately, they're just not cutting it here. I'm I'm just like, and honestly, I'm probably a little more critical of AJ Epinesa than I am Boogie Basham. Um, that's just my personal thing. If you told me that you are more critical of Boogie than AJ, I would tell you I fully understand where you're coming from, and we're just splitting hairs here. But um, I would... I would more so look to move one, if not both of those guys before just accepting the fact that I'm not going to bring back Shaq Lawson just to kind of round that entire point out. Yeah, I'm with you. And I understand the pushback of, are you just creating another hole? But what you're doing is you're opening up a roster spot. And AJ Epinesa is a guy that um, really, he, he got better this year, but how much better? What is his ceiling? I know he had six and a half sacks, but they were six and a half of the least impactful sacks you'll ever see. He reminds me a lot of Chris Kelsey. If you're old enough to remember this name where he's on your roster. And if he's a starter, you're just always trying to improve that position. So 
if you can get a fourth or fifth round pick for him, that is another dart throw for a four-year contract you will have on a rookie versus a guy in AJ Epinesa where you're just not going to feel comfortable giving him a long-term deal this offseason. Boogie Basham, I'm a little, little more hesitant to trade, although I will tell you, like, if a team came calling and offering a third or a fourth round pick, like take him. But I still think there's, there's some potential there. He is only going into year three. We've heard Sean McDermott say multiple times year three is kind of like that benchmark. You bring up a good point on Gregory Rousseau. I think he is a budding star in this league. Uh, my wife is my hero. She's bringing me a water because I am clearly fighting off a cough. So if you hear the noise in the background, thank you. Um, Gregory Rousseau had 14, he was 14th in the entire NFL last year on PFF pass rush grades among edge defenders. Von Miller was 16th. And I know the narrative is this entire defensive line fell off when Von Miller was out. And that's even true for Rousseau. He was the eighth best defensive lineman edge in the league, according to PFF pass rush before Von Miller got hurt. And he fell to 20th, but 20th is still middle of the road number one edge rusher on the team, 32 defensive ends, 64 starters. He was 20th without Von Miller, without the benefit of having a double team. So I think there's a star there. Luca and I are on the same page. I think the first thing we're going to learn is, do they bring back Shaq Lawson? If they do, there probably is no other investment made. I think right now this team could use some juice in this room. So try to free up a spot by shopping Epinesa, Basham. If you want to bring back Lawson, great. I don't need it. I'd almost love some fresh blood in that room. Um, third or fourth round pick in this draft. I'm not advocating for a first round pick here. I think that that kind of investment needs to go toward the offensive side of the ball. Um, but just see if you can strike goal with the guy there. Let's talk about the interior defensive line, Luca. Um, it, it's a little bit sloppier because there's a name that I saw somebody question about. We'll bring up our friend Matt again here. Trade Ed Oliver. I think that's a very real possibility here. Ed Oliver is back. On the fifth-year option, $10.7 million against the cap. And then Daquan Jones is going into the second year of his two-year deal with the Bills. Um, and I think he is an extension candidate. You could lower some of that cap hit, spread it out. I think he obviously is worthy of an extension if the Bills have the appetite to do that. Tim Settle, the second year of a two-year deal. A little bit disappointing there from last year. From what we had heard coming over from Washington, the Bills could save about $2.4 million by cutting him. I don't think that they would do that because I think he at least is solid depth and 2.4 million just isn't enough to entice me to do that. I would love to see them try to rework that deal though. And then Jordan Phillips, a big fan favorite is a unrestricted free agent. Let's start with Ida Oliver 10.7 million against the cap. Luca. It is unflexible because it is the fifth year option. You can't spread it out unless you start adding on void years. The only way to get out of that 10.7 is to extend him or trade him. I am not comfortable based on what I've seen from Matt Oliver to this point in his career, offering him an extension unless he is just willing to take a below what he thinks is market level contract. But that just rarely happens with a guy who is who was the ninth pick in the draft and hasn't been awful. The guys, for whatever reason, picked in the top 10 carry that reputation throughout their career as long as they're decent in the league. So I think the Bills need to be open to trading him. And when I say trading at Oliver, I understand the reaction out there is like, hey, sign me up. Ed Oliver was the ninth overall pick. I bet big baller Bean could go out there and fish himself a first or a second round pick. No, that's not the world we're living in. Uh, the rest of the teams have seen Ed Oliver play. 
The rest of the teams have access to over the cap and spot track and all these salary cap tools we have to see what kind of a burden his contract is to the bills. You are looking at a day three pick, maybe even a middle to late day three pick, and you're trading him for $10.7 million in cap relief. And that alone is enough reason for me to want to do this. Luker's Luker, Luca, is there any pushback on your part on trading Ed Oliver at this point, even if the return looks like peanuts? There's no pushback. I, I think the value in trading him, as you just painted out there beautifully, is the fact that you gain $10.7 million in cap space. And with that space, you should be able to contribute to this team, potentially at multiple players and signings and key let's call them depth position roles on this team where depth clearly is a problem on this team, even though we thought going into last year that it, that was not the case. And we were the deepest team. That is a farce. We are not the deepest team and we could use some more solid depth, even though when you have to get to your depth, you are dead and that's a problem. But regardless of that fact, you still like to have it and you need it and you need to do something to fill a, a plentiful amount of holes on this roster that is clearly there if one or two injuries happen. So Ed Oliver is like that perfect candidate that, and let's call it again, let's just go back to the same scenario I talked about before, draft day, a team sitting there with a five or a six and is like, Hey, we'll take Ed Oliver off your hands. We hear you're trying to work on this or that. And the bills are having discussions with someone else on making a move or trying to sign someone else. And this is probably something that honestly, I think in free agency you could see happening because they are trying to sign someone else or make something work cap figure wise. And they realize that the 10.7 million that they're staring down with Ed Oliver is a big, big problem. Yeah, you're. I don't think they're looking at it extending him at all. I'd be shocked to see if they're extending him. I'm going to say, you know, I say shocked with an asterisk because surprising things always do happen in this world. So I don't want to see that happen. I know you don't want to see that happen. Um, I'd be shocked to see it happen, but anything can happen. Um, he is a trade candidate. He is like trade number one on the team. And I don't care about the return per se. It's about getting rid of that cap hit for what you're getting in a player in that Oliver. Unfortunately, as you said, you're not getting a one, two or three back for Ed Oliver. If someone's willing to pay that awesome, Thanks. but it's not real. That's not going to be what happens. And you're looking at, as you said, a day three pick. The value is that $10 million. Let me just say that one more time. The value is freeing up $10.7 million in cap space like that. And that is a very, very powerful thing for a team that has a lot of good pieces on it that then can utilize that and expand on the players they want to bring in. However, whatever avenue they need to do that. Ed Oliver, to me, is someone that I don't expect to be on this roster come the first preseason game. And Tim settled just to kind of roll it into these other guys. Now, Daquan Jones is obviously going to stay. I would expect an extension, potentially a little small one for him, you know, an extension, keep him around for just past this year as well. See if they can spread out more money or even just give him more money regardless. Cause he's shown that he is worth, you know, whatever they want to pay him. Obviously I'm not saying just throw the bank at him, but you understand what I'm saying there. Tim settle. Um, it was disappointing. I do think that they're not exactly keen on wanting to let him go. I mean, Tim Settle seems like the kind of guy that you release only because that $2.4 million, if you move on from him, is going to make or break a big trade or a big signing or something like that. Like if you're making a move for Keenan Allen, because I just want to beat that drum to death. 
If you're making a move for Keenan and Allen, and all of a sudden you realize the cap number is close and you're just 3 million away or 2.4 million away in this case. And t- cutting Tim settle is what's going to allow you to trade for a Keenan Allen. You, you cut Tim settle. Like you'll figure it out. Eventually you'll figure it out somewhere else. Yeah. You'll bring in an Eli Anku or whatever for a depth defensive tackle and just live with it. So I don't think they're in any rush to do something like that. It's just if an opportunity presents itself where that 2.4 million becomes valuable, that's where he becomes a cut candidate to me. I am with you if they can restructure it. Cool. Jordan Phillips is an interesting one. Um, I expect them to just talk to him and just see where his head's at. I do think since he's basically bet, like you say, injury riddled since 29, I just call him injured since 2019. Right. It just it, That's just the reality of it. He's barely played at all when he has played at full health in that span as rare as it is he has been impactful it's just so rare that he's healthy so you'd expect him to be a vet min candidate and it's hard to get guys with upside like his at vet min so maybe there's something there um but yeah daquan jordan phillips you know are two guys that maybe i expect to see back just because the value and understanding is there tim settle i also kind of expect to be back but if it's a make or break situation for something else out there you could expect to potentially see him cut and ed oliver by preseason game one i do not expect to be on the bills roster because that 10.7 million dollars against your cap is just way too much way way too much i have almost zero interest in seeing jordan phillips back and i get he's a fan favorite and i get that there are moments where he flashes and you are thinking that you are seeing a dominant football player and i have been teased by this too but ever since his breakout career year in 2019 he has had struggles staying on the field and i think we all even think back this year and it's like when he was on the field he was great and that just was not the case He had multiple sacks against the Rams to open the season and didn't have another sack the rest of the way. He injured himself twice, aggressively trying to chase down a quarterback. Uh, Week two, I think it was Malik Willis at that point in time, um, trying to just go lay a hit on him after a pick six when the game was well in the bag throughout his hamstring. Same thing, trying to get a sack on on Mac Jones against the Patriots. Unfortunately for Jordan Phillips, both in primetime spots too, so the world was watching. Um, not a reliable football player. And if, if you want to Ike Botker him where you get him for, like Lucas said, essentially the league minimum, come in, earn your spot and see what, see what's what great. I am in no position where I want these bills to be relying on Jordan Phillips. Last thing on Ed Oliver, cause we've beaten this 10.7 thing to death, but the difference between Ed Oliver's 10.7 and say Jordan Poyer's 12 million APY is APY on a long-term deal can be easily manipulated. Von Miller signed 20 million APY over six years last year, but year one, he only counted less than 6 million against the cap. You can manipulate it, make the cap hits less early on when the bills are in this current cap jam. So they have so much more flexibility where if they free up that nearly 11 million, they could sign two or three impact players with that money let make the money less early on spread out the hits right now. There is just no flexibility at that. We are on the same page Ed Oliver needs to go. Daquan Jones needs an extension. We could understand a Tim settle restructure or a cut. We, neither one of us are predicting it. And we're both kind of like, eh, on bringing back Jordan Phillips probably need to add a middle of the road, second wave free agent body. If you're going to get rid of Ed Oliver or draft somebody day two, day three of the draft. Question really quick from Steve, who would give up a fourth round for that bum boogie? Well, Steve, I think that's the tricky part is 
Boogie Basham was at one point in time considered a borderline first round talent. And that was only two drafts ago. And this happens all the time in the league where teams think, oh, we had this guy really high on our draft board. He hasn't developed in this spot, but man, that's probably just poor coaching. We get our hands on him. We can develop him. And if we can send a, a fourth or a fifth round pick, which at that point of the draft, they might be looking at their board and they're like, oh man, we don't really like any of these edge guys. Why don't we send this fourth round pick for a guy in Boogie Basham who we had, we had rated as a, a, a late first round pick two short years ago. He still has two years left on his rookie deal. Am I predicting that happens? No, but these draft, these guys from recent drafts do hold more value than we think as fans sitting here. So I think it's probably a little more realistic than you think, but I also don't think the bills are really in a position where they want to give up on Boogie Basham just yet. All right, let's talk about linebacker. That is where the other big decision comes this offseason. Tremaine Edmonds, we both are about 50-50-ish. I'm a little more positive he stays. Should the Bills be willing to pay him that $20 million APY that Roquan Smith got from the Ravens? We both have reason to believe that Tremaine Edmonds would have come back on a much cheaper deal prior to last year. And then the Bills balked at that idea, wanted to let the season play out. It was pretty predictable to think that Edmonds would have a very strong year this year, Luca, with the upgrades on defensive line with Daquan Jones and Von Miller and Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle coming into this year. And then he did. And then what also happened is the linebacker market just shot up with the Roquan Smith deal. Do you think off-ball linebacker is worth investing that much money in? $20 million, no. Off-ball linebacker is not worth $20 million. I love Edmonds. I think Edmonds is a freak of an athlete. I think what he has done for the Bills in his entire tenure has been great. Everything like that. I I am not bashing Edmonds or the player he is at all. It's just what he is. You know, the position he plays, the role he is on a defense is not Roquan Smith. He is not Roquan. And honestly, Roquan at $20 million. Now, Roquan can basically do it all. And he is just kind of one of the few gems of a linebacker, kind of a little bit of an old school vibe to him. You don't see guys like Roquan Smith. That's why you just pay a premium or, you know, in this case, the Ravens pay a premium to keep him. They trade for him first and foremost, and then they keep him with $20 million. You do that because there are far and few between Roquan Smith and everyone else. Um, Tremaine Edmonds is not a $20 million linebacker. I threw out the number 17 million earlier. That's kind of just off the cuff, kind of top of my head. I don't even know necessarily if I pay $17 million for a guy like him. It's just, unfortunately, I think that's where the market is for an off ball linebacker like him and his traits and stuff. Um, but overall, no, I, I'm not paying Tremaine dollars, Tremaine Edmonds premium dollars just to stay. If the, if the number is manageable, reasonable, whatever you want to call it, or he has just somehow found himself to be an extremely loyal individual and is willing to kind of work with the bills again, which I don't believe is the case, you know, just based on players these days need to go get their money. If they're being offered something greater somewhere else, you always go get paid. The next paycheck is never guaranteed. Um, that would be the only scenario I see him say, staying with the bills because I think the bills also understand that at the end of the day, the value is not there for a player at his position in his role. And I just wouldn't be definitely not 20. Like if we're talking 20 million, the answer is no, no. And again, no, like Roy Collins said in all caps, no, you do not pay Tremaine Edmonds $20 million. James, 
We're I not talking about, about Chase Edmonds. We're talking about Tremaine James, Edmonds. Are you trying to trigger me? Are there really still people out there that think, yeah, first of all, the spelling. Um, <laughs> I Are there really still people out there that think Tremaine Edmonds sucks? Or are we just, are we just trying to get a rise out of old Josh tonight? Because we see him having coughing fits and you're just trying to get me to choke my lungs out. I, I will tell you all. I have a list of discount linebackers the Bills could get in free agency that I think would be very good fits for this team at about half to a third of the price of Tremaine Edmonds should he move on. And I look forward to sharing that with you all next week when we start to really dive in to what the free agent big board will look like. Uh, you know, Matt mentioning some of those names, it goes a little deeper than that. Um, but yeah, uh, there, there's a lot out there that if the bills want to play the market themselves and not just sit there and wait for Edmonds to come back, I, th I think they could be in a pretty good spot. Let's talk about the rest of this linebacker group though, Luca, because Milano is back and he is on a very team friendly deal. The spot track, Mike Gennetti has, has said time and time again, that this is one of the most team friendly deals in the entire league. Um, the only two other linebackers under contract right now for 2023 are the two draft picks from last year, Terrell Bernard and Balen Specter? Both of those guys looked like backups in, in their limited reps last year, but obviously first year going into second year, it's way too early to tell. Um, Tyler Matikavich is an unrestricted free agent. AJ Klein, Tyrell Dodson is a restricted free agent. Matikavich is interesting, Luca, because he made $3.75 million in 2022 as one of their core special teamers. And I just don't think that's the world the, the Bills can live in anymore with now that Josh Allen is making franchise quarterback money. I don't think you can afford to have special teams aces making nearly $4 million per year. So for that, unless Tyler Matikiewicz is willing to come back on more of a vet minimum type deal, I'd expect him to be gone. Um, Tyrell Dodson, I, I would expect him to pick up his tender. He, he's played decent for them. When he's got his shot, he plays special teams for them. I think they're comfortable with him as a backup linebacker. And as a worst case scenario, break glass in case of emergency, we don't get anything done with Edmonds. Um, the draft doesn't line up for us. We strike out in free agency and Terrell Bernard doesn't develop. Well, then I think the Bills would at least feel okay about rolling him out there as a starter on opening day. That would certainly not be plan A. But I do think with it just being a restricted free agency thing, they'll certainly pick up that tender. And um, yeah, I think they have some work to do here. Um, this is going to be one of those positions, Luca, that if Tremaine Edmonds moves on, I think becomes square in the conversation for should the Bills be spending premium free agent dollars there or maybe a first or a second round pick. I'm with you on off-ball linebacker. I don't value it enough that even if Edmonds leaves, I'm willing to sit here and say, let's spend a first round pick because best case scenario, you spend a first round pick. And you get a player who's been as good as Edmonds, if not better. Edmonds is a multi-time pro bowler and it's a home run of a pick. We will be sitting here five years from now when he hits free agency saying it's not worth paying him, whatever the market value is because he's a linebacker. So with that, I don't want to spend a first round pick on somebody that I already feel like is going to be bad value when it comes time to sign a second deal. That's why I want my team to focus on premium positions and not non-premium positions. So if they move on from Edmonds, I want them to go cheaper there. Middle round draft pick, um, mid two tier free agents we're talking about. But Luca, they're going to have to fill out this depth chart somehow, some way with bodies. And it might resemble last year's strategy of day two pick, day three pick. And they'll probably throw a veteran in there at some point, uh, maybe even a decent veteran if Edmonds moves on. Yeah, the first and foremost thing I want to cover is the special teams point you made. 
they cannot afford. It's just fat bottom line. They can't afford to pay a Tyler Matikavich $3.5 million. That just can't happen. You can't pay a wide receiver who is just strictly special teams, you know, three and a half million dollars, whatever they were paying him. You just can't do these contracts anymore. You're going to be playing Terrell Bernard and Baylen Spector on special teams. That is going to be a reality because that's just how you got to do it. A lot of successful teams have done such that because they also understand you cannot pay those kinds of players money. You can maybe get one in there, like coming off the top of my head, even though I hate him with a passion. Justin Bethel seems to constantly get a job out there because he is just that good at special teams, but he's the only premium special teamer on whatever team he is on. So you just don't do that. Regardless with this position overall, though, it's amazing to me, Josh, that a year ago, you know, almost to the day when we started this podcast thing, we shortly after there talked about the linebackers and what we felt like before the draft and what was going to happen. And we thought Milano was potentially going to be because he hasn't he hasn't out in his contract in this offseason that he could be, you know, potential uh, out on his contract. He will be gone. They'll figure out a way to extend Edmonds and then move forward accordingly. We are doing the overall thing that we thought we'd be doing just the opposite starter right. is going to be the guy filling that role and what a world we live in. It's just, yeah, you're going to be going with Milano. You're probably, I do agree with you on Tyrell Dotson. I believe they're going to just tender him, whatever it is you bring him back. Honestly, he could be the guy that they're right now penciling in as your starter next to Milano. And then you're just going Bernard inspector as your depth pieces and then probably using a day two or three pick to get another guy and possibly two more guys if they do a day two and a day three, depending on how players fall in the draft, whatever the situation is, because I do believe this team is very big on BPA overall. So they kind of have three guys they target. Whoever's the last one there, they take that one, no matter the position, really. Um, other than offensive line, they seem to be allergic to that one. Hmm. Uh, regardless. Yeah, this is going to be a fascinating one to watch in the offseason. It's it's weird to say because we're all wanting, you know, hogs. We want offensive linemen. We want wide receivers. We want all these things. Linebacker is probably the biggest question mark for this team on what they're going to do. I don't want to splash cash at linebacker. I think your point on stop using premium assets and money and whatever you want to call it on a position that is not premium. Like you do not use that on linebacker linebackers are replaceable as sad as it can be at times because you learn to love these players. We love Edmonds. We think he's a tremendous talent. It's just, you don't pay a player like him premium dollars. You just don't do it. You, it's it's there's too much evidence out there that you can overcome just with average to above average to even developing them into great play on a cheaper contract. That is just the reality of the position. You only pay premium dollars and use premium picks on premium positions and that is edge quarterback you wide receiver and cornerbacks for the running most. back just right. kidding just kidding just kidding just kidding say, that is the <laughs> last one you don't even touch that you put in a warm body that can do the job as best as it can who cares mm -hmm. uh no regardless so you just don't do that with linebackers you really don't do that with safeties yeah. unless you have a you know general and this goes with linebacker safeties, you know, offensive linemen, what these positions offensive linemen is probably a premium position. It's just not a sexy premium position. We'll call it. Yeah. Um, you pay a, a, a worldy talent, you know, a Roquan Smith, or, you know, you pay those guys money because they just are that big step above everyone else. But that's why they're getting paid that it's not because, you know, you pay that position. It's because you're paying that player. 
everyone else does not fill under that criteria, you are replaceable, unfortunately, for the reality of you. So for the Bills' sake, they can't afford to pay Edmonds. You, you, they can't afford to pay any linebacker out there that's going to demand a premium. They just need to be smart with their money and smart with their draft picks, fill that hole strategically, and understand that you cannot utilize anything premium to fill those holes accordingly. You just got to do it smart and strategically. So Buffalo home with a question here, and he did follow it up, say, I know it's a defensive day, but can we trade some type of pick for Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen? And while we won't talk about those players specifically, because like you said, this is a defensive day. The truth of the matter is the Bills can really do whatever they want. They have the flexibility to create about $20 million just through restructures. That's $20 million in cap space. And if they do ultimately trade Ed Oliver, that's another 10.7. So they could make this happen if they elect to not sign Tremaine Edmonds. The hope would be that that money you save by not investing in Edmonds or Poyer would get reinvested in the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, while my personal preference, and we'll get into next week, is to add youth to the wide receiver position, um, it gives you the flexibility to add a Keenan Allen, a DeAndre Hopkins, or a Mike Evans should they become available and you decide to get in that bidding war. So long story short, yes, they can they can free up enough to do whatever they want to this offseason. It's just gonna it's gonna take sacrifices somewhere, and those sacrifices would obviously start with Edmonds and Poyer. All right, Luca, let's talk about cornerback. I think this one is probably the most cut and dry position on the team because I think who they have is who they have. And um, it is going to start with two draft picks from last year, Kair Elam and Christian Benford, both going into the second year of their rookie deals. You have Tredavious White, $22 million in dead cap if they were to cut him. I know he had a down year last year off the ACL, did not look like the Trey White of old, showed some flashes very late in the year with some of his ball skills that gave us some hope. I know there's some concern that he may never elevate his game back to that all pro level, but at least if he's a plus starter, I do think there's a chance the bills could look to get out of his contract after 2023, uh, but that's not a conversation for this off season. And then they have Dane Jackson and Cam Lewis, who are both um, restricted free agents. I would expect Dane Jackson to be brought back for sure. Cam Lewis probably gets shown the door. I would think maybe he's allowed to go test unrestricted free agency Um, not really get a market and then, um, you know, see what happens there. But it feels like that's probably, it's, it's probably time to stop developing him at this point. Like he's no longer developmental corner. He's a Cam Lewis at this point. And whether you like it or not, that's where he is. And then Taron Johnson, just Mr. Steady Eddie in there at Nickelback, 27 years old, $9.2 million cap hit against the cap for the next two years. And he's going to be back. Obviously he's one of the most reliable players on that defense and really an unsung hero on that defense. Not a whole lot to say here, Luca. I think this is going to be who the cornerback group is. I would expect them maybe to add a body late in the draft at corner. They could always surprise us and go out and sign a free agent like a James Bradbury who has familiarity with Sean McDermott. I wouldn't anticipate that. I think for this group, it's about the growth of Kyer Elam. It's about Matt's question here of Christian Benford potentially going to safety to fill the hole by Jordan Poyer. Um, But it's about the growth of Elam the growth of Benford, uh, the the bounce back of Tredavious White, and then you have Taron Johnson, who you know is going to be your nickel, and then Dane Jackson backing it all up. I, I think they're, they're right where they want to be. 
So gut reaction to corners, I'm I'm with you in the sense of exactly how it is. I think the funny part about corners to me this year is in a lesser priority or lesser extreme. It's kind of like how we felt about linebackers going into last year. It's I look at Tredavious White as a guy where they're going to heavily evaluate his contract situation and everything like that. Once we get to the offseason next year, like you said, that's the discussion for next year. We're not going to have that discussion this year, but it's definitely something they have eyes on right now. So if they were to use a pick to maybe just fill a role there where it's kind of like the Terrell Bernard, where if there's someone there available that they think maybe the value is there and they can fill that void if they have to go down that road next offseason, this is how they could do it. They value this guy. They think he's good. Everything like that. Um when it comes to Taron Johnson, he's as safe as safe could be. Nothing's happening there. Kyir Elam and Christian Benford are as safe as safe can be as well. The rookie contracts, Kyir Elam is, of course, Kyir Elam, first-round pick. Uh, Christian Benford showed enough in six games or whatever it was to show that he is very much safe on this team. The position question about Christian Benford, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but at the same time, if they always intended for this with him and – you know, they wanted him to become a safety. This is the time you do it. This is when you transition a player over to a new position. You do it while they're still young and hungry and are able to kind of learn whatever they need to in order to make that transition. I just feel like you saw enough out of him. And I, I am blinded by my affection for Christian Benford and everything I loved about him. I fell in love with him the moment I saw him in that first preseason game. I just thought he was a stud and unbelievable just for being a no-name guy to actually lock down legitimate NFL starting wide receivers in this league. Um, so I don't fully grasp that because corners are just harder to find to me than safeties. But if there was a, you know, kind of... Um, developmental plan for him from the beginning. And this is just basically them not skewing the course because of a couple flash up, you know, and by a couple, I mean, you know, the six games he was healthy and everything by those moments of where he actually looked like he could be a corner. I, I, they can sell me on that. Like they can absolutely sell me on that. And it's like, okay, you're sticking to the course. You're doing what you think is right for this player in the end. And, uh, and if there's a time ever to, take a starter, a guy who can't start a corner and move him to another starting position at safety. This is also that time to do it. Being that you're staring down the barrel of, you know, Poyer's going to be gone. Hyde's coming back off a serious neck injury. You don't know what you truthfully have there. You need someone that you can depend on back there. And if he does make that transition smoothly, I will be happy to see that. And it's awesome because Christian Benford is good enough that you need to figure out a way to get him on the field as much as possible to me. And that is the overall key. And that's exactly I was getting to that point, but I had a nice long lead there. But that is essential. Keep Christian, get Christian Benford on the field however you can. And if it's getting him to safety to do so, I'm very okay with it. Because the one thing is, it's not like he's, you know, world-class speed. So that's where ultimately it could thrive even better. And, you know, he won't get torched once or twice. I never thought he would get torched ever in the games he was playing at corner. Anyways, I thought his positional awareness and understanding of the defense was so good that it just wasn't going to happen. But he's not world-class speed. A Tyreek Hill could burn him. So moving him to safety to just be that help for another guy who is more athletic and is more kind of corner-driven. I'm very, very okay with it because you could potentially have a safety for years to come in Christian Bedford. He's got the, you know, the measurables and everything like that and shown that he is starter worthy. So yeah, get him on the field. However you can, if this has been the plan all along, you can easily sell me on that. And I will be excited to see him on the field. 
Matt, my answer to you is I'd prefer him stay at corner. I like what I saw to him, and I think it's harder to find corners that can play in this league. Plus, I do project that this is probably going to be Tredavious White's last season in the Bills. So I like the idea of Elam and Benford growing together. But the larger point is the Bills would rather have Christian Benford be their starting free safety than their fifth cornerback. And that's exactly where they're at. And you want to get your best 11 on the field. And he can provide more value to them on the field as a starting free safety versus a depth cornerback. And they obviously think highly of Dane Jackson. Nobody's going to take over for Taron Johnson in the slot. Um, there's nothing to say you couldn't move him back to corner. If Tredavious White goes on, they could also draft another corner. I do think Kyrie Elam is ascending and going to be a very good player. We're all on the same page here. Um, really going to see what happens with Benford. I, I don't expect a, a high-level investment in cornerback regardless of what happens. I do think there's a chance there's a high-level investment in safety. That's our next conversation. We've already talked a lot about Jordan Poyer earlier in the episode. Micah Hyde's going into the final year of his deal. Unfortunately, Luca, I think this time next year we're having a very similar conversation on the end of Micah Hyde's tenure. It's just players age out, teams have to roll over, and it's it's going to be a couple of years of tough conversations. You know, Saran Neal's an interesting name too. He's been a very steady force on uh, special teams. He's kind of a do-it-all where he can get you out of the game at linebacker, safety, corner. Really, he can play a lot of positions. Not any of them particularly well, but he can play well enough where if you have an injury, he can get you out of a game. But he's a guy that is carrying a cap hit of 3.3 million. You can save 2.24. And that's a similar conversation to Tyler Matikavich. Do you want to spend that money on a guy who lives on special teams? If the bills start counting pennies, there's a guy you could release and maybe find two or three depth pieces to take his spot for the cost of one. DeMar Hamlin, neither one of us are qualified at this point in time to say whether he'll factor in. We obviously wish him the best, but that's about as far as we'll go with this. Um, you know, we'll all learn more this offseason about what his recovery looks like. And I will say, I think Jaquan Johnson, who is an unrestricted free agent, probably has played his last game as a bill. He really fell out of favor late in the year. You saw them trade for Dean Marlowe, who is also an unrestricted free agent. And he got playing time over Johnson when the Hamlin injury happened. And the Bills made an interesting signing a couple weeks ago. Zane Anderson, who spent some time on the Chiefs practice squad to a two-year deal, interesting athlete, uh, very high RAS score, relative athletic score from the combine, been a special teams player in his career. But I, I do think that probably is the spot that goes to Jaquan Johnson. Uh, Luca, not a whole lot to say on safeties. We talked about Poyer. Any final thoughts you have on the position before we wrap up the defensive overview? Safety, real quick, to me, is the biggest offseason wild card. And what yeah. I say is I could easily see this team making an uh, impactful move at the position. And I mean that, you know, maybe a second-round pick, uh, maybe signing a significant free agent. You know, I'm not saying necessarily that they're going to splash cash and go crazy on it, but I think it's one that they're doing a lot of work on and seeing what is out there when it comes to a first round pick, a second round pick, a third round pick, or free agents like just going to drop the name, John Johnson, the third, someone that is going to be moving on from Cleveland. He's a guy that, you know, it's, I find it funny. It sounds like Cleveland is moving on from John Johnson, the third, because they want to sign Jesse Bates, the third. <laughs> and then it's like, okay. If you can't get Jesse Bates, it'd be really nice to bring in a John Johnson the third because he just basically becomes the next best available safety, in my opinion, that would be on the free agent market. So um, I'm a big fan of his. I liked everything he was when he was a Ram. It just hasn't worked out as well in Cleveland. And I understand that Cleveland just doesn't want to pay him the amount of money that they are. I get it. Business is business. We're talking about that right now. But he's someone that I kind of keep my eye on, and I wonder if the Bills are as well. He seems to fit a mold that I like. 
overall though, I'm not even a really a Siri Neal fan. I could see him being kind of a casualty, you know, like you said, two and a quarter mil saved. If you release him, I, I players that are not exceptional at anything and are just good at everything drive me insane because you're never good enough at anything. You are just good at things. And it's like, no, I need you to be exceptional at something for me to think there is value with you. That is just my personal sense on something. You need to be world-class or at least exceptional at something to be worth value to me. Sierra Neal is not that it's, you know, just the reality of it. Um, there's value there. And as you said, there's just going to be a tough discussion to be had with Micah Hyde next year, aging out and stuff, but hopefully he's okay for this one last year. And you can bring in something notable uh, to go alongside a Christian Bedford after this year to make things going like, you know, and that's the whole thing too. Maybe Christian Bedford doesn't move this year safety full time. They use him at corner because you did bring in a John Johnson. And then next year is where you make that big switch, big time switch, full time, whatever it might be, stuff like that. So the safety position to me is the biggest, uh, wild card in the off season. You just, I really don't know where the bills are going to go with it. It's not a clear position to me and anything is truly possible with that position for the bills. I'm I'm with you. I, I do think it's a wild card. I do think that all bets are off. If when, if, and when Poyer leaves, depending on how much they value some guy in the first round, we shall see that is our defensive overview. And I will give Luca a second to change our background because we're going to change themes here. Wow. That was less than a second needed Luca. Um, all right. Well, for those of you that are hockey fans, the Sabres and the entire NHL went through the trade deadline today and the Sabres were active. So Luca, for those that aren't aware, you have your Sabres chat series on YouTube, but since it is the trade deadline day today, we are going to get some quick Sabres chat in. What did you think what the Sabres did at the trade deadline? Um, I loved it personally. And, and like you said, I do my Sabres chat, uh, stuff every Thursday at noon, it drops, and I mentioned the first player I mentioned that I had eyes on, and it's not like it came out of nowhere. Um, there have been other people that have been beating the drum. That is Jordan Greenway um, for months now. It's He it fits the bill and checks a lot of boxes when it comes to what the Sabres need moving forward. And I do apologize if you're a Bills only fan. It's just there's notable things. Trade deadline day happened today, and it was an exciting time because – the Sabres went out and used a couple picks. This, it was Vegas's second and their own fifth to trade for left winger Jordan Greenway from Minnesota. And he is just, look, big forward, six foot six, 230 pounds. That can skate really, really well. Do not grow on trees. They are the trees of the forest of the NHL, and they are sparse. So when you can get someone like him who is also barely 26 years old and also has a history with their head coach, Don Granado, in the U.S. development levels where he found his most success was a great talent that was highly touted and was so, a lot of NHL personnel hold him in high regards into what he can be. It's an exciting move to make because he just brings something different. And I thought the general manager, Kevin Adams, said it perfectly afterwards. After the deadline, he gave his kind of overview on what had happened. And the one notable quote he made was, teams are bullying us. And especially when you watch like the third line for the Sabres with Middlestat and Olofsson and whoever is opposite wing of those two, like it's, it's clear as day what they are the mismatch and they get pushed around left and right. We don't have an answer for it. And all of a sudden you bring in this big stud who can skate and does have the ability to put the puck away. He doesn't have a ton of points, but it, it's look, 
he is exactly what this team needs. And if Granado can also tap into him, get his confidence back and also develop him, which he has a very good track record of developing young talent that also is not really working out elsewhere. You know, I thought I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I can't remember on Twitter and I, for, I apologize for not giving the shout out, but someone said there's a history of us men's development forwards that are six foot six under Ganado that seem to find late success in their early career. I'm all for this. It's Tage Thompson. I'm not look, Jordan Greenway is not going to be Tage Thompson. You that's, that is a one of one. It's literally like Josh Allen for hockey. It's unbelievable what's happened there. And some, but Don Granado understands how to take talent and put them in the most successful position possible and get them to thrive at whatever they're best at. And Jordan Greenway has the size and ability to provide something completely different for this team and hopefully not let them get bullied around. I, to me, it's a smashing success of a trade overall. Hopefully it doesn't, you know, burn out in our face here, but a second and a fifth history shows there's a fascinating uh, stat out there. If you are picked 25th overall or later in an NHL draft, and remember, there are seven rounds in an NHL draft. If you are picked 25th overall or later, you have a 2.5% chance of playing 100 NHL games in your career. That statistic is insane. So you just traded two picks that have a 2.5% chance of having 100 substantial games in the NHL, not necessarily for your team in the NHL as a whole. For a guy who already has games under his belt, has a, you know, kind of mentality, he's young, he's promising, he can develop in this team and shown that he can be successful. His stats are honestly, this year he's been down, but he was actually a pretty big part of Minnesota, not statistically, but just on the ice when they made a deeper run, or at least made it to the second round, I believe it was a few years ago now. He's a big physical forward. He can provide offense. He is, this year he's been a defensive liability according to those advanced metric people. Look. He is someone that you don't want to be on the ice with. He will bully you, and that's what the Sabres need. Big fan of that. The other notable trade, just real quick, uh, Asplund was sent to Nashville for a 2025 seventh. For all of intents of purposes, that is the Sabres being respectful to an individual who's been in the organization for a few years now and just couldn't kind of crack the lineup consistently. The math didn't work out in his favor. The Sabre, he, Asplund is a nice defensive-minded you know, center. Uh, he's a bottom six forward center kind of deal. And it's just like, look, we have other guys for those roles who are just better at it or more promising at it than you are. We're going to send you somewhere else where maybe you can find an opportunity. And they basically just took the, you know, the best offer that was there. And it's a future seventh round pick. That is them just being respectful to a player in house. Honestly, if anything, other players in your organization see that they also did this with an Anders Bjork a couple of days ago where they sent him for future considerations. It's not even a notable pick. It's just like, we'll figure it out in the future. Yeah. They're just being respectful to their players and other players see this. So if they don't feel that they're going to be able to crack the lineup of the Sabres, they at least understand if they were to go to Kevin Adams or whoever they need to, and just be like, look, I want to try to find playing time. They will honor that wish for you and understand that you want to kind of get your career going to me, that move is more significant in that sense than anything else. I respect Kevin Adams for doing that, getting him somewhere where he can potentially get playing time for himself. Good on Kevin Adams and everything like that. But Jordan Greenway coming to the Sabres is very, very exciting. Honestly, I did not expect Kevin Adams to do anything at the deadline. I don't know if I would have necessarily been okay with it. I would have accepted it, I guess, is the way I'll put it. But 
I'm very, very happy that Jordan Green Greenway got traded for. And I am very, I am hoping to God he's playing the matinee game tomorrow against Tampa Bay. I hope so. It just seems like a uh, shout out to my buddy Dylan. Every other team seems to trade for a player and they play in 2.5 hours later for that team. And yet when the Sabres trade for someone, it seems like they shipped, you know, five business days and they don't <laughs> play for two games. I'm hoping that's not the case. Hoping he's coming here and he'll be able to play tomorrow afternoon, but we will have to see. It's exciting to see what this is because it's not just a trade for this year. It's a trade with this year and future years in mind. And hopefully Granado can kind of get him back on track with his career and make him be that guy who, doesn't let us get bullied around anymore and also produce offensively. So what kind of form are they in Luca? Because I, I know there was some angst on Sabres Twitter about they should have been more aggressive or they should have gone after a goalkeeper or whatever. And I understand the pain of the 11 year playoff drought. And they are certainly in position this year to end that they're, they're sniffing a playoff spot right now, just on the outside looking in They they won five out of six prior to what was a really tough week this week. Um, just in general, what kind of form do you see them in and how do they stack up in the East? The form is difficult because as you pointed out five of six and they just, when that happened, right? So it was right. Be, it was right after the Florida game, right before the Washington game to finish that five of six run, you lose Alex Tuck, you lose Rasmus Dahlin though. I mean, Dahlin is a Norris candidate this year, which, you know, defenseman of the year. Uh, candidate. He has been out of this world. He is going to get massively pay, paid this offseason. Um, he's out. You know, it's been day to day. He could potentially come back, although earlier this week it said it was very unlikely. Uh, but he is available off of IR as of tomorrow. So we'll see, but most likely not playing. And then Tuck is out for weeks. That's kind of what I think kicked the butt a little bit on getting a greenway in here because Tuck was kind of that two way forward, although he did it at a very, very high level on your top line. Greenway is more likely going to be on your third line. So he's a bottom six forward, but he at least can be that physical two way presence, hopefully for this team that if they need it for penalty kill purposes or if they feel like they're being outplayed physically, they just kind of push him out there a little bit more. Um, it's tough. It's tough. I, the four. For Sabres fans that wanted to trade for a goalie, I don't fully understand it. There were some options out there, but they're really at risk of giving up something with the future in mind. And if anything of anything tells you what the mindset of the Sabres and Kevin Adams is, Devin Levi is the future to them. They value him at such high regard that they have... I, I don't remember if they've outright said it or if it's just been heard around the grapevine, but people have offered them picks and, you know, a decent chunk of assets for Devin Levi, or at least asked if they'd be willing to listen to that. And Kevin Adams has just said no to those or the organization has. So Devin Levi is the future, but you don't have a guy who's currently in college, you know, killing it, come in next year and step into the show and just immediately be your goalie one. He's most likely going to have to get one year of the a under his belt, get used to the pro system and life, and then eventually come up to the Sabres. But anything else that was out there would have put some of that at jeopardy potentially when it comes to development of whoever you have here and, or you have to give up future assets that are of note. And does Matt Savoy play for this team? I hope he does because he's incredible and he could be like the next Danny Briere for all we know. But those are assets that you're going to use when you know you're already in a playoff position and you're really trying to make that push and want to move that chip to then bring in something that gives you instant returns. We're not at that point. Our form is what it is. We have an incredibly tough schedule coming up. Like it is, 
it is brutal to be honest. And it's the worst time to lose an Alex Tuck and Darlene when you are kind of sniffing a playoff spot. It's been 11 years, as you mentioned, and just, you just want to finally break through. It's very similar. It's not as long as 17 years, but it's very similar to the bills drought where it's like, just get over that hump, get this thing over with. And now let's get towards our future because it looks so bright. You just want to get that monkey off your chest. Like just get it gone. But Ultimately, I like that Kevin Adams didn't get over the top aggressive. He didn't try to move for a, you know, a big time move that would put them over the edge just this year. And then they'll figure it out in the future. We're not at that point. Boston, Toronto, all these other teams have made incredible moves that should hopefully get them a cup. And when you look at the top six in the East and then everyone else, there is a notable gap. If that 7-1 loss to Boston didn't teach you that we are worlds away from these teams that are trying to get a cup, I don't know what else you need to see. That is the reality of it. So do not do anything that puts that at expense because where our cup opportunity is should be hopefully in the future, say three, four years down the line. But right now it'd be cool if we make the playoffs, but we are, we have an incredible future in front of us. So just do things that make sense both for the now, but also for the future and do not do that at the cost of anything that will cost us that future. I'm okay with where it is. I understand Sabres fans just wanting to make the playoffs and do it by any means necessary, but it's take a step back and understand what is going on. They're not winning the cup this year. There's there. I think I saw they have an 8.4% chance to beat the Bruins in a playoff series. If that even happens. And honestly, I'm surprised it's 8%. I would probably put it more at like four because they are just a juggernaut and Toronto and all these other teams. If they were to even get through Boston and get through that tough seven game slate of, or however long it takes. Now you, all of a sudden you get a date with Toronto or Tampa. It's like, look, you are just unfortunately a step below these teams. This is not the year. Don't do anything that puts the future at cost just because you're trying to get into the tournament this year. I give the Sabres credit and look, this is Bill's chat for a reason. I I am a Bill's guy through and through. I'm very casual when it comes to hockey. Luca is the hockey expert on this show. So I'm more so asking just from like a casual perspective, but relating it to the Bills, that playoff drought can be such an anchor on your organization. And we saw near the end of the drought before McDermott showed up, the Bills make desperate moves just to try to get over the hump. Like they stunted EJ Manuel's growth three or four games into year two to put Kyle Orton out there off the couch because they thought he could end the drought. And that wasn't a Bills team that had any chance of going to the Super Bowl, but it was just about get into the playoffs in this drought. And they finally did. And you even saw the Bills at the trade deadline in 2017 when they did end it, ship a third round pick, which in the NFL, it's not like the NHL where you're saying in the NHL, third round pick is you might as well just set it on fire because it's 2.5% chance that guy does anything for you. Noteworthy third round picks in the NFL hit all the time and they sent it for Kelvin Benjamin. So I give the Sabres credit for not being um, beholden to breaking the drought because while that will certainly provide relief to the fans and relief to the organization, and it gets your name off of that screen that comes up whenever they show the longest droughts in pro sports, And I understand all that as a Bills fan. Trust me, I understand all of that. But the ultimate goal is not to get an eighth seed in the NHL and then get bounced in four games just to get yourself off of a graphic. The ultimate goal is not to go nine and seven, watch the Bengals and Ravens play on this screen, pray they win. You get in with a negative 100 point differential 
and then you get bounced by a mediocre Jaguars team that somehow went on the next week and dominated the Steelers. The goal is to win a championship. And the the Sabres, from my seat, have been making a lot of smart moves along the way. And, and they finally, they got the Eichel anchor off their back. And I know that sounds bad to say because it was such a process for them to get Eichel in the tank year and everything the fan base went through of should they or shouldn't they do this. And it seems like slowly but surely since Eichel's gotten out of the building, they've made more good moves than bad. And this tuck thing with him becoming a megastar in the league, seemingly out of nowhere is like found money in your couch. And the last thing you want to do now is take some of these assets you've collected and throw them away for a hope and a prayer, just to get rid of an arbitrary drought that really doesn't amount to anything where if you get in this year, great, but let's not risk what we've been building that could amount to a parade, not a graphic going away. So I give them a lot of credit, a two and a seven or whatever. I'm sorry, a two and a what was it, two and a five. five, two and a five for a player that you say can help them get through the tuck injury and then help them into next year. That makes perfect sense to me, yeah. but sending a first round pick for a player whose deal is going to expire at the end of the year. I, I totally get why they wouldn't have the appetite for that. And I think that makes the Sabres from my seat look very smart very self-aware and I think they deserve a lot of credit. Yeah. Kevin Adams has, when Kevin Adams was hired as a GM, I was just kind of like, are they looking for a puppet boy? Are the Pagulas just looking for someone that they can get on the cheap that can just sit in that seat and they can kind of tell what to do or instruct how they like to do things. And to his credit, man, he has done an incredible job. Kevin Adams has been very, he's been the same, right? He has been, there's a message he's been driving since day one, how he handled the Eichel trade situation, you know, um, everything like that. And now through to this point, there has been a clear message and kind of, I, I don't want to say the trigger word, but I will process and what he has been trying to achieve with the Sabres team. And ultimately it's got them in a very, very promising position Everyone around the league notices it. There's so coming up right now, after they play uh Tampa in that matinee game tomorrow afternoon, they are Monday night at home against Edmonton, and then Tuesday night on the island against the Islanders. The reason I bring those two games up, they're both on ESPN Plus. They are the games they chose back-to-back nights to be the exclusive game you have to go to ESPN Plus to watch. There's a common folks there. Now, Edmonton does have the draw of Connor McDavid the greatest player in the world, probably the best athlete at his sport compared to anyone else in the world. It is a show to watch. He should be on national television every game. It's unfortunate he plays in Edmonton, but that's a whole nother conversation. But the Sabres are part of that. And Tage Thompson, who is this megastar out of nowhere, Alex Tuck, who was supposed to be playing in this game and is just fun to watch two way forward, brilliant offensive play, a perfect compliment to Tage Thompson. You have Dylan Cousin, another rising cousins. Make sure I say it right. Rising star. They have that locked up, by the way. Want to talk about GM. Kevin Adams one more time here. He's ahead of his time in the NHL. He has figured out a way to kind of bet on himself and these young promising talents and get them locked up on long-term deals like Tage Thompson and Dylan cousins. You now have your young promising already showing that they are quality players in the league center one center two locked up for $14 million, 14 and change. I think it might actually even get to $15 million. Other teams in the league with those two premier assets right there would have them locked up at easily $20 million at this production that they're producing for you. It's 
unbelievable what he's been able to do. Darlene's going to cash out, cash in big. Like I said, Owen power as well. Another former first overall pick will most likely cash in this summer potentially. Um, And then at that point, that's the key for any Sabres fan out there. That's trying to think, Oh, I want us to make a big splashy move. I want them to get over the hump. I want them to do something exciting. The two key things that need to happen are Darlene and power to get signed to their long-term contracts. You need to know where you are sitting against the cap with them, which cap is not an ultimate major concern for the Sabres at this point in time, but you have to understand what's going on with your cap for years to come. If you were to bring in a blue chip talent or, you know, game changing player for this team with all of these key assets, because you need to pay Darlene and power. They have already shown that they are worth whatever you're going to pay. Kevin Adams has already already shown that he's willing to pay as long as you show some promise like Tage Thompson and or uh, cousins. So once you get these guys on the books, once you understand what your cap's going to be for years to come, thanks to those contracts, then maybe possibly this summer, you will see a bigger move or something done to really get this team moving forward. And we could be having a completely different conversation next year, this time where we are looking at one of, if they stick, I'm hoping they go to the one eight format next season for the playoffs. I'm hoping that gets conversated, but let's assume it's still the one three and then two wild cards, uh, divisional, you know, bracket format. We could be in one of those two, three spots. We could be already sitting in a spot next year. If they do make that one big swing move in the summer, have everyone locked in, everyone progresses forward more. We're the youngest team in the league or second youngest. I think maybe I'm pretty sure we're the youngest. Um, team in the league you just keep moving forward you keep going forward and this is a very very promising future for this team for years and years to come you don't jeopardize that now you do it strategically you do it smart and the biggest things that Kevin Adams has to do and props to him he's been phenomenal the biggest thing he has on his plate right now and I'm sure he's already trying to figure out is Darlene and power extensions figure out where their cap number is going to be and then you go from there once you have Thompson Cousins Darlene power all locked up That's your top two centers That's your top two defensemen for all intents of purposes. Cause you know, power play one power, play, power play two. Those are your two D man. You have those guys locked up. I'm assuming tuck eventually will get paid some sort of money at some point in time for him moving forward. But that's lesser of a concern because once you have those key roles locked in those four guys, you really can start getting creative with how you want to do things. You can move a Paterka or a Quinn, bring in Yuri Kulich. You can do a lot of fun stuff with this roster and not have to really do it at a high expense moving forward because your key guys are already paid. So now you can get creative with your other positions and money and everything like that. So the next episode of Sabres chat will drop Thursday around lunchtime. They drop uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, right? So uh, 12. Noon Eastern. Noon Eastern. Okay, excuse me. Noon Eastern. So by the time your your lunch is ready to go, fire up Sabres chat. By the time that happens, the Sabres will have played those three games you talked about. Home against the Lightning tomorrow. Home against the Oilers. On the road. Wow. Saturday, Monday, Tuesday. Um, Welcome to the NHL schedule. That's a stretch, man. (laughs) Um, So three playoff teams. Only one on the road, like you said, but... What what do we expect? What, what's what's the bare minimum they need to get out of this three game stretch? Point wise, win loss, tie white, like what I know tie I mean, is not a thing, but yeah, what, what no, they overtime need? loss to get yeah. a, you know that freebie point out of that. Um, really, bare minimum you have that Islanders game is a we'll call it a quote unquote four point game. 
You know, it's obviously you're playing a team that's trying to fight for a wild card spot themselves. You are fight, fighting for a wild card spot. That's a big four point swing. If you can get that win in regulation, that's a game you have to win. In my opinion, that's a team that you are comparable with. You should be able to handle. It's just frustrating at times playing the Islanders. They kind of bore you to death for lack of a better term. They are just ugly, ugly hockey game. And then they just get you with their Bo Horvat. Uh, I don't think Barzell is going to be back for them. So it's still Bo Horvat dependent. The Oilers game is kind of a crapshoot. It's at home, which is nice for you. But the weird part is the Sabres are not actually that good at home compared to the, on the road. So figure that one out, please, for me. But um, Oilers game, as long as you can control Connor McDavid, which is a tall order, uh, anything can happen. I think the good news is the East teams in general are definitely better than West teams. I feel like even though the Oilers are at a higher uh, standing in the West. I feel like the Sabres aren't as far off as it might appear. Um, goaltending will be a problem. Connor McDavid is obviously a massive problem. To me, I feel like the bare minimum, you need to get three points out of that. Tampa is going to be tough, but you're at home. I could see them losing that game, but they did just beat them in an exciting game. Probably the game of the year for the Sabres so far, just a couple weeks ago. Now, I believe it was where we had that Ilya Labushkin overtime winner. Um, Try to get that one to overtime if you can, if you can't outright beat them. But in all reality, Tampa uh, has been a weird team where they haven't really been in great form. So this seems like that perfect time for them to figure it out when they come to Buffalo. Just seems to be how it always works, but is what it is. Not being pessimistic about it. Tampa's a good team. They're seems very, like you are. Yeah, I'm being pessimistic about it, but they, they are a very good team. I'm not expecting anything crazy. Just be competitive. Show me that you cannot get blown out seven to one in that one. So I am more comfortable and we are all more comfortable going into that Edmonton game. Edmonton, I want them to get a win so bad. Everyone wants them to get a win. I would expect them to be able to get them to a win or at least push them 60 minutes. That's what I would call a one point game at minimum. And then that Islanders game, you have to win. You have mm -hmm. to win that game. It's not like you're playing the Blue Jackets, which is you have to win that because it's embarrassing if you don't, which, I mean, they did lose recently. We don't have to talk about that. Just yeah. you got to win those games. But Islanders game is a big game when it comes to the wild card. So overall, to me, the bare minimum of acceptable is three points in this stretch. I would love to see it get to four, if not five. <laughs> um, but I am not a fan of matinee games for one. I feel like Sabres are a little bit underwhelming with that. Uh, I feel like the exception was that Washington game last week, um, but they don't normally perform well there. And Tampa likes to perform in Buffalo traditionally in the recent history. So I'm, I'm low expectations on that game, hoping for something to come out of it. And then the, uh, you know, we'll just call it Oilers Islanders uh, back to back, get three points at minimum, try to get four points, of course and move on with your day because every point is so, so valuable in this, you know, the remaining of the season at this point. So just, you got to make those games count and hopefully they can just be competitive against the lightning and not just get blown away seven to one, like they did against the Bruins last night. Yeah. Tampa's in the middle of a stretch of three games in four days, uh, matinee game tomorrow after having an overtime loss at home yesterday to the Penguins. So Brutal. maybe endurance will work on the Sabres side here. And maybe they can catch lightning in a bottle. Oh, but uh, you, know, you know, I had to sneak one in there. Brutal. Play ball with you on the Sabres conversation. But uh, please check out Luca's Sabres chats every Thursday. Um, it's a new project. It's kind of something he's starting up. He, it's, he's putting a lot of effort into it. He's obviously very passionate about the Sabres. And for someone like me, I'll be honest with you. Like, I don't necessarily have the time or, you know, I'm, I'm not a diehard hockey fan. So 
these 15, 20 minute Sabres chats every week are exactly what I need to understand the state of the team. And they've gotten me into the Sabres. Like I'm watching these Sabres chats of like what's happened. And I, I feel myself scoreboard watching and flipping on the game here and there. And it's really nice. So if you're a casual bills, you know, a casual Sabres fan that likes that is diehard about the bills and you just, you know, you want somebody to kind of tell you what's going on with the Sabres. I think this is a great Avenue to get into that. So uh, please do check it out. And while you're over there, while, while you're on YouTube, if you could please like, and subscribe, comment on any videos you like Uh, Stokes and I have the quick hit series going. We're very proud of that. Really anything topical um the the day frazier decided to step down and we got a quick video up about that um any we've had co- videos about should ed oliver be traded will they sign poyer will they sign Edmonds? uh will they sign will they trade for derrick henry i mean if it comes up we're covering it and we feel like that's kind of like your cliff's notes version of the off season you know if you're somebody that likes to kind of put football away in the off season we got a bunch of quick content over there for you to consume at your own pace um, we obviously love you to come hang out with us every Friday night, but please do like and subscribe there. Luca and I will be back on Bill's chat next Friday night, and we will be laying the land of free agency because we will be on the doorstep of free agency. Luca, before we get out of here, anything else you want to get in tonight? No, I'm excited. We covered uh, all bases when it comes to the roster. Uh, appreciate you giving me a little bit of a moment with topical news. That is the NHL trade deadline and the Sabres excited with Jordan Greenway. Please be sure to check it out. Um, I try to do my best. I, I know Josh DM me even personally to let me know that before he even said this on air. I just, I, it's a, it's fun. It's fun to talk about the Sabres once a week and things like that and provide you guys something a little bit different. Just what's on my mind with the team. Um, and then overall, I'm excited to see what we got moving forward. I'm excited for free agency to get going. I want actual transactions in the NFL. I want things to move around. I want to see where D hop goes. I want to see where Mike Evans maybe goes. I want to see if Keenan Allen moves, wink, wink, um, things like that. Very excited for the future. And I'm excited what we can bring you and what Josh and I will be doing for both the podcast and this live show. Yeah, and we will be back next week in these very same spots. And uh, we can't wait for it. We can't. The offseason is here, Luca. I said earlier this week, this feels like the calm before the storm, like the combine's going on. And you just knew that rumors would start flying out there. And they have you get the entire league to converge on one city. And all of a sudden, these conversations and rumors fly out. And there's rumors about Lamar Jackson. And there's rumors about Daniel Jones. Could be on the verge of making 40 million APY, but. Mm. Glad that's not our problem. I'd like to think that (laughs) Joe Shane would be smarter than that, but we shall see. We know some Giants fans in our life who wouldn't like that, but we can't thank you enough for hanging out with us tonight. And whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple, anywhere your podcasts are, whether you're watching us on YouTube, we appreciate the heck out of you. It has almost been one year for Luca and I on this Bill's Chat venture, and we are not going anywhere. We will see you guys next time on Bill's Chat. Mm -hmm.